so on Thursday, the, the place was crazy, right? The building was packed with kids. So when the time came for me to do some sermon preparation for this morning, I, I, I had to get somewhere else. I had to go somewhere quieter. So I, I found this spot at Kate's Park. I drove down to Kate's Park. This was my Thursday morning office. It's too bad that North Vancouver lacks any natural beauty, right? Like it's just so hard to find anywhere that looks nice. I have the flat rock, sandy beach, I've got shade and everything, it's so good. Five minutes after I take this picture, a kayaking day camp sets up shop literally three feet away from me. <laughs> Plunking down oars and kayaks, I've got kids jabbering away two feet away on a, on a rock. I mean, was, I can't get away from it, day camp's everywhere, kids everywhere, just can't get away from it. Uh, but my, my choice of my office on Thursday morning was, uh, well, was consistent with what we're with what we were talking about this week, and it's consistent with the psalm that I, I wanted to teach on this, this morning. Um, the theme of the camp, Mission Deep Sea, talking about the depths of the ocean. And I wanna look at a psalm this morning that explores the depths and what God does there. The ocean depths, they, um, they can be a dangerous place, right? I mean, big in the news in the last couple months was the Titan Submersible that uh, took five, was it five very, very wealthy tourists down to see the, the Titanic on the, on the ocean floor and imploded before, uh, before it got there, killing everybody on board. And, and now there are more and more stories about how, how ill-prepared that ship actually was for that trip. It really wasn't ready to, to go down to the ocean floor. And even if you do make it, we know that there are so many things in the ocean depths that you probably don't wanna meet face to face, right? Things like colossal squids and sea spiders and tube worms. I don't even know what those things are. Just hear the word. You know you don't wanna mess with these things, right? Like I don't wanna meet a tube worm. So the depths are, are dangerous, scary places. And, and this isn't just true literally. It's true metaphorically as well that in our lives, we've got the depths of, of our lives. Maybe it's experiences or it's emotions, it's feelings, it's, it's those kinds of things. And, and they reside in the depths of our heart and we'd rather not go there, right? We'd rather stay away from that. We don't want any submersibles heading down there, shining light on what's deep down. We kind of keep that stuff hidden because it feels scary. It maybe even feels deadly. And so what I want to look at this morning is a psalm, Psalm 139, that tells us that it's actually safe in God's presence to head down into the depths because he's there and he knows what's there and, and he's, not, he's not scared of it. In fact, he's, he's quite prepared to bring us down into those deep places. So uh, let's pray and then open up Psalm 139. Father, thank you so much for this morning, thank you so much for all our kids, for those who were part of day camp this past week and all the good things that happened there. And I pray now, Lord, that this morning as we open up your word, Holy Spirit, as we sang before, come, come like a fire, come like a flood, convict us, comfort us, strengthen us, encourage us. I pray that, Lord, our hearts would be soft towards you, open, to your word, and, uh, and Lord, I pray that as a result of today, that, that there would be, even if it doesn't happen today, but that there would be a journey towards that deep healing that you want to work in people's lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Psalm 139, I'll just read the first six verses to start. 
You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So obviously, big point here is that God knows us. He knows us deeply. He knows us personally. He knows us far deeper than any human ever could. And, and, and you, you, you know, you, kind of, you can get to know somebody pretty well. You get to know somebody by looking at their actions, seeing what they do when people are watching. But as I've found out as a pastor over and over again, you never know someone completely because there's stuff they keep pretty well hidden. And then all of a sudden it comes out maybe in a confession. Maybe, not, not that we do like confession like Catholics do, but, but somebody will say like, here's something that's gone on in my life or, or something comes up in their family or whatever it is. And, and all of a sudden you go, why? Well, you know what? I, did, I didn't know that side of you. And it's not because they were being a hypocrite. It's not that they were being deceitful. It's that human beings are very complex creatures, aren't we? And we have all these conflicting desires, and, and we really do mean the good things that we do over here, but, but the truth is there's stuff hidden down deep here that's causing other stuff when nobody's watching. And what Psalm 139 says is that God does know. He knows all this stuff that's happening even when nobody's watching. He knows what you're looking at on your phone when nobody else sees. And by the way, unless you're in the very back row, if you're looking on your phone right now, people are watching. If you're not on your Bible, people know. You know, in the back row, God knows. Everybody else, everybody else knows. <laughs> but, but God knows, right? He knows what you do even when, when you're in, in secret. And, and another way that we know people is by what they say. You know, often their words give us the best insight as to what's going through their minds. Now, there are other things, too. The body language is a pretty good giveaway. If you give somebody for Christmas, let's say, a, a pack of eyebrow razors, which is, which is apparently a thing, I found out, uh, they might say, wow, thank you so much. This is everything I ever wanted. But if they're saying it through clenched teeth and with wide eyes, there's probably something going on deeper down. You know that. But oftentimes, what they say is what gives you the knowledge of what's going through their minds. And this psalm says that actually God knows what's on the tip of your tongue before you say it. Because he knows your thoughts. He knows the things that go through your mind that, again, you keep hidden from everybody else. And this is what the Bible says throughout about God's knowledge of us. Psalm, or sorry, not Psalm, Hebrews 4 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Nothing's hidden from his sight. Everything is laid bare. And David looks at all this and he says, he says that such knowledge is too wonderful for him, which is actually probably a pretty uh, generous translation. And the word probably means something more like it's, it's overwhelming for him. He can't prevail over it. He can't overcome it. It's, it's, it's just, it's a lot. You know, that, that, that knowing that somebody knows you that well can be even a little bit unsettling, can't it? I mean, there's no wonder there's some solace for people in atheism because this idea that, that, that there is an almighty God who you are accountable to, 
who knows what lies behind your inauthentic words, who knows the, the motivations that lie behind your supposedly virtuous actions, the knowledge that somebody knows all of that, I mean, that, that, that doesn't, that, that's, that's, that's terrifying for some people. Actually, this, this psalm, as, as wonderful as it sounds in the first six verses, really gets at something that a lot of people are on edge about today, which is uh, privacy and security. One commentator says, this psalm is a celebration of God's invasion of our privacy, which it kind of is. I mean, we, we, uh, we know we live in a world where there is less and less privacy. There are fewer and fewer places where you are not being watched. I, ha I hate to break it to you, but we've got surveillance cameras even on the front of our building. We know, we know who's coming in and who's going out. Right, there's surveillance cameras everywhere. More and more of our lives are, are digital, they're online, and you're being watched. You're being tracked. Even in the last couple of weeks, Google uh, quietly changed their privacy settings uh, to allow its artificial intelligence a wider scope of uh, kind of information it can glean from people. There's actually been some recent breakthroughs in artificial intelligence technology that seems to allow AI to, uh, in a brain implant, to, to enable AI to decode thoughts and make those accessible to others. All of this is, it, it's, it's unsettling for me too, as it is for a lot of us. But here's the difference when it comes to God. A few differences. One difference is the one who knows these things about us. So in the world, we're talking about we're talking about human governments, we're talking about profit-seeking tech companies who learn these things about us. We're talking about fallen, created entities, including AI, which might even be scarier. Whereas with God, we're talking about one who is creator and Lord of all, who in some sense alone has authority to know the depths of us because he made us. The means of this knowledge is different too. You know, the, the, the way that tech companies learn about me is profoundly impersonal. It's not like I have a relationship with a, a, an executive at YouTube who calls me and is like, hey, what did you think of that video you just watched? And I'm like, well, I, really could, I could really use some more squirrels water skiing in the videos I watch. And he's like, oh, let me see what I can find for you. And, you know, sends me a link. That's not how YouTube learns about me. There's, there's an impersonal algorithm. Whereas God knows me because he's in relationship with me. The Hebrew word for knowing here is, is deeply, it's a relational knowledge. That's, that's how God knows. And, and then the purpose of that knowledge is different too. That in our world, these companies learn about me so that they can sell my information to the highest bidder, to advertisers. That movie, The Social Dilemma, really brought that out, that in social media, you are the product. You are the product that social media companies are selling to advertisers. Whereas God's knowledge of me and you, that deep knowledge is for the purpose of speaking to us, loving us, restoring us, healing us, enabling us to know him who knows us so well. So to sum this part up, God's knowledge of us is it's full, it's absolute, it's complete. He knows all that you say all that you do. He knows all your ways. He knows all that stuff, even that you work so hard to keep hidden from other people. He knows. He knows you. And not only does he know you, but he's with you everywhere you go. Verses 7 to 12. Where can I go from your spirit? 
Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. So David, who wrote this psalm, is pretty clear. Everywhere in creation, and he kind of gives a lot of examples. He says, no matter where you go, there's no place in the created world where God does not have access to. The Bible tells us that God is spirit, and as such, he doesn't have the same limitations that we do as human beings. He, he has an all-access pass to the universe that he created. And, and this, was, this was challenging for some people in the Bible to understand, I think especially of Jonah. Jonah was an Old Testament, a, a prophet in the Old Testament around 750 BC who routinely received messages from God to pass on to others. But one day he received a message he really didn't like. He really didn't want to pass it on because it was a message about bringing hope and, and a need for repentance to his enemies. Now, Jonah was supposed to go to Nineveh, which was to the far east of, of ancient Israel. And instead, Jonah got on a ship and he went west to Tarshish, which would have been, so Nineveh, modern-day Iraq, Tarshish, probably modern-day Spain. So going in the far west direction. Uh, Jonah 1 verse 3 says that Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He's trying to run away from God. But if you know the story, you know that that didn't work out very well. But it turns out you can't actually run from him. God causes a storm to erupt on the Mediterranean, ends in, in Jonah being thrown overboard, sinking down to the depths where he was, uh, where he checked in for a three-day all-inclusive stay at the Big Fish Inn. Uh, a lot of one-star reviews on that one. I wouldn't recommend it. But, uh, but he sinks down and, and is swallowed up by this fish. And, and then this is what he says. He says in 2 verse 2, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. See, it turns out that it was really, really good news that Jonah couldn't run away from God, that even as he was sinking down deep into the waters, that God could still hear his cry. And this was revolutionary in the ancient world, because in the ancient world, in the polytheistic mindset, different gods kind of ruled different, different parts of creation, different territories, and you kind of needed to know which gods kind of had what jurisdiction. It was a very complicated kind of system. So in Canaanite religion, Dagon kind of took care of the crops, and Moloch took care of the fire, and, and Astarte was the goddess of war and love, quite the combination on that last one. And you had to know kind of if, you're, if you've got a certain interest or if you're going to a certain place, which is the God that I'm supposed to call on. And so the, the biblical monotheistic assertion that God is alone God, that he is God everywhere you go, that he is Lord over all was, was revolutionary. It was, it was astounding. And again, such good news for the people of God because it means that no matter where you go, no matter where you go, God is present there. He's not just present here. You go to another country, you go to another place, you have to move, you have to resettle somewhere. 
That, that same God, that same Holy Spirit that is speaking to you here, speaking to you there. It doesn't matter where you go in creation. And it doesn't matter how deep you plumb in your life. No matter what the experiences in your life are, God is there. Again, thinking metaphorically, he is there with you no matter where you are, no matter what you've experienced. God is present. I was thinking about this. And I thought about the fifth book in the Chronicles of Narnia series, the, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. If you've got kids and you haven't read these books with your kids, fix your grave error today. Go buy the books, start reading these with your kids. They're so good. Um, and, and so in the fifth book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there's this ship and it's exploring new lands with a crew of people and militant mice and all kinds of other creatures. And they sail into the island of dreams. And it's just darkness everywhere. And they find out that it's the island of dreams, not because your, your dreams, your, your, your kind of fantasies and daydreams come true, but that your nightmares come true. And so all of a sudden, the crew are hearing things crawling all over the ship, and they're hearing the gong sounding, and they can't get out because it's pitch black darkness everywhere. The whole crew is freaking out. And then Lucy, this just pure-hearted uh, girl in the stories, she, she whispers a prayer to Aslan, who is the, the Christ figure in the story. And Lewis says there's a, a speck of light all of a sudden that appears. She starts to feel a little hint of comfort. That's sometimes all, all it is. It's just a little hint, just a little piece. And then there's a speck of light and it turns into a beam of light. And Lewis writes that Lucy looked along the beam and presently saw something in it. At first, it looked like a cross. Then it looked like an airplane. Then it looked like a kite. And at last, with a whirring of wings, it was right overhead and was an albatross. And the albatross circles, perches on the mast, and then flies and, and guides the ship out of the darkness. But no one except Lucy knew that as it circled the mast, it had whispered to her, courage dear heart. And the voice she felt sure was Aslan's. And with the voice, a delicious smell breathed in her face. Take courage, dear heart, because even here in the pitch black darkness, when nightmares are coming true, God is here too. God is with you no matter where you go. Even in the pitch blackness, when you don't know the way out, even when nightmares are coming true, God is with you. And when we come to the New Testament, when we come to the New Testament, that's good, you guys can clap anytime you want, it's all good. When we come to the New Testament, it gets even better. It finds even deeper fulfillment because we find in the, in the New Testament that God actually is with us in an even greater sense. In, in Isaiah 7, 14, there's this prophecy that a virgin will give birth to a child and they'll call him Emmanuel, which is a Hebrew term that means God with us. And in, and in the New Testament, we see that that has been fulfilled in Jesus. In John 1, we read that God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God made his dwelling among us in the person of Jesus. And when he made his dwelling among us, he didn't just kind of hang out with the upper crust of society. He just didn't just hang out with the people who had it all together. He got right into the muck and the mire of humanity. He was, he was talking to prostitutes and healing the demon-possessed and touching lepers, right? He was, he was right there in the midst of it. And Hebrews tells us that Jesus, while being wholly perfect, 
and without sin, fully righteous to the very end, yet he was tempted in every way, just as we are, that he knows our weaknesses. As we talked about last week, at the cross, you see Jesus in, in the events leading up to it as well, you see him being rejected by humanity. You see him being subjected to the worst that humanity has to offer. At the cross, Jesus even experiences separation from the Father. Because as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he who knew no sin became sin for us. And so in every way, Jesus is with you. He has been where you are and more. There is no depth in your life that he has not visited, that he is not present in. He is with you. That is good news. He knows us. He knows us and he's with us everywhere and he's with us in every time from beginning to end. Verses 13 to 18 for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. This is probably the most well-known part of this very well-known psalm. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You knit me together. You, you saw my unformed body. And no matter how you look at it, the human body is pretty incredible, isn't it? Think, think about your brain. Your brain is, it's not that big. That's not an insult. That's just, that's just a fact. And it, it's, it's, frankly, it's pretty ugly. You can take that as an insult if you want to. But if you take, if you take your brain and you look at it, it's, it's disgusting. It looks pretty gross. But it is a ridiculously complex organ. Like 100 billion cells transmitting 100 million bits of information, sending them along with electrical signals at the speed of 300 kilometers an hour. Let's see you make that. That's incredible. It's amazing. And our whole body is like that, just, just incredibly complex. And, and the psalm tells us that it is that way because God made us that way. Because he designed us, created us that way. See, people in the world would have you believe that this is all an accident. The, uh, the famous director, Woody Allen, said, we live in a random universe and you're living a meaningless life and everything you create in your life or do is going to vanish and the earth will vanish and the sun will burn out and the universe will be gone. Hey, hey man, that's, that's good news, hey? That's, what an encouraging message from Woody Allen. <laughs> Why wouldn't you wanna live your life with that kind of mindset? Nobel-winning uh, physicist Steven Weinberg says it's almost irresistible, although false, for humans to believe that we have some special relation to the universe, that human life is not just a more or less farcical outcome of a chain of accidents reaching back to the first three minutes. It's all you are. You're, you're the result of a chain of accidents. You're, you're, you're living a meaningless life in a meaningless universe. You're just a clump of cells that just happens to look this way today. That's one view. The Bible tells us that God made us, created us, loves us, put us, put us together. 
And, and he did that right from the very beginning. And this is why Christians have tended to put such high value on life already in the womb. Because, because God saw our unformed bodies. He knit us together in our mother's womb. It's not that he waited until we popped out of the birth canal and then was like, all right, now I know you. Now you're human. Congratulations. Now I'm in relationship with you. See, from this, we would say that from the moment that those two reproductive cells come together and form one new body, that God is there. He knows this person and he, and he loves this person. And, and by the way, I should say something here as well about disease, uh, disabilities, congenital disabilities, people who have significant physical challenges. Would we say that these people as well have been fearfully and wonderfully made, knit together, even though they're, they're, you know, maybe there was some genetic anomaly, maybe there was something, something else that happened from, from early on? And we would say absolutely, 100% yes. You know, reading testimonies of Christian parents who have had children with severe, dramatically life-altering circumstances and disabilities, and, and they, they testify and they say, yes, absolutely, my child as well was knit together by God, made by God, created by him, loved by him. Um, these stories, one, one, one testimony I read pointed out that all of us are, are subject to physical weakness, all of our bodies have various inclinations towards brokenness. And so at what point would we say, this person is a masterpiece of God, but not that person? Here, here's the line right here. Now see, the Bible tells us back in Genesis 1.27 that every single human being, every single one has been created in the image of God. Every single human being from conception all the way to the end of their life has this status as being an image bearer of God. Whereas in our world, some people would assign worth only to some people at some points in their life. The biblical view says that it is from start to finish, everyone, every single person made in the image of God, no matter what the circumstances. I said it's from the beginning to the end, from conception right to the end. And, and this, these passages, the, these verses also talk about, about the end. It, it, David says that all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be, which seems to indicate that God knows the entirety of our lives, that he knows where we're going, he knows what's gonna happen, he knows how it all ends, which raises some significant questions, doesn't it? Does that mean that everything in our life has been orchestrated by God, including all the traumatic difficult things in our lives, in our world? Has God predetermined that all this is going to happen? Are we, in fact, just kind of living lives that have been predestined, that, that we don't have any choice in the matter, that, that we're essentially living in a kind of simulation here where everything has already been set up from the start? I mean, when I read the scriptures, I cannot come to that conclusion. It, it, it seems so clear to me in the scriptures that humans genuinely have choice that we genuinely have a choice as to how we respond to events and, and circumstances. And I, I cannot get my head around the idea that God would orchestrate evil. James in the New Testament even says, don't say that God is tempting you with evil because God doesn't do that. That's not who God is. And so in that case, then how can we understand Psalm 139 and what it says? It won't surprise you to find out that these huge questions that Christians have been wrestling with these things for 
many, many, many years. And some Christian theologians have talked about how God, while being present in our lives, at the same time somehow is above time, stands outside of time. It's almost like God can see the whole timeline of history in one moment. There's this, this, uh, this talk about the eternal present, that for God, everything is kind of like the eternal present. The sixth century Christian philosopher Boethius, which I think is like, a, that's a pretty hardcore name. I think we should bring it back. If any of you are having kids anytime soon, consider Boethius as a, as a, as a, as a boy's name. He said, God sees those future events which happen of free will as present events. And maybe that's one way of looking at this. Could we say that, that God foreknows what's going to happen without orchestrating it? Could we say that God is able to take those seemingly disorganized, disparate kind of pieces of our lives in this world and somehow be working in the midst of it, you know, working to, to make something beautiful of that? I know those are, those are huge questions and pretty unsatisfactory answers probably. We're gonna look a bit more at the effect of evil, how that kind of enters in in a few weeks. Uh, a few weeks from now, we're gonna look at Psalm 51. But, but I really don't want you to miss the main point here, the point that David really wants to get across, which again is about God's deep knowledge of you in every way. Like we've said, he knows every part of you. He's with you wherever you go, and he knows your past and your future. He knows your, your history. He knows your experiences. He knows, he knows your triggers. He knows your joys. He knows your fears. He knows your anxieties. And he is in your life right now working and speaking and drawing you to himself so that you would know him. Because that's, that's your purpose, actually. That's why, that's why he made you, so that you would know him. Jesus in John 17 says that real, abundant, eternal life is this, that you would know the Father and that you would know the Son who shows us the Father. Now, later on in John 17, Jesus is, is praying for his disciples and he, and he prays to God. He says, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus came to make the Father known to us so that the love that the Father has for the Son would be in you, that you would be drawn into this love, that you would be drawn into relationship with him so that you would know and love the one who made you and knows you and loves you so much that the cross was endured for you so that whatever you've done in the past, whatever those depths are, the things you did in secret, that even now you kind of hide in shame and guilt, that he went to the cross, he went to the far farthest extent possible to forgive you of those things, to cleanse you, to heal you, to reconcile you to himself. He knows you. Now, that would seem like a good place to stop the psalm, stop this sermon, but David's got a little bit more, and what he says might be a little bit surprising. Verse 19, he says, if only you, God, would slay the wicked, Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? 
I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. People deal with these verses in various ways. So for some people, you just don't deal, you don't read them at all. You just pretend like the Psalm ends at verse 18. Because it's really jarring, isn't it? Like David's like, wow, how precious are God's thoughts? How wonderful this is. He knows you, he's with you wherever you go. Kill all the wicked, God, I hate him. You're like, whoa, you okay, David? You okay over there, man? What happened? Right, it just, it, it feels so, so startling from one to the next. Other people would point out that actually what, what David says here is indicating a, a passionate zeal for God and, and a, a zeal for what is evil. You know, that, that David is just saying, God, I, I love what you love, I hate what you hate. You know, and, and some people would say, well, there, there's, there's something to that. You know, that, that, that David's heart here is just zealously, passionately for God. But here, here's what I think is going on here. It may be that, but I, I think also that the context of, of what David has said about God's knowledge for us makes this the right kind of response. David is modeling something for us. He's modeling what it looks like, given God's knowledge of us, to bring it out into the open. To say to God, here's, here's what's inside of me. Here's the depths. God already knows the depths. But God will not heal us until we give him access to those depths. Until we open them up to him. And I gotta make a little plug here for Freedom Session. Because uh, you heard about this earlier in the service. Freedom Session is a discipleship healing ministry that we, uh, we, we've heard a lot of from, from other churches that have been so deeply blessed by this, by this program. And so we're launching it for the first time in the fall. And, and this is really what Freedom Session is all about. It's, it's all about plumbing those depths. It's about bringing those things out before God, all that stuff that you kind of keep hidden. It's, it's bringing that stuff out before God so that, he can, so that he can bring healing, that he can bring transformation. There's stuff that needs to be changed. There's stuff that needs to be thrown out. There's stuff that needs to be renovated. But it's all about kind of letting God's light shine into that. So again, uh, after the barbecue, one o'clock, upstairs in the atrium, Jaylene's gonna be leading that information session about Freedom Session. You don't have to, you're not signing your life away. You don't even have to come to Freedom Session. It's just, if you wanna know more about what this is, one o'clock, upstairs in the atrium. Now, David didn't have Freedom Session, but again, he had a relationship with God where he could be radically honest with him, just bringing it all out before him. And it's not just honesty we see here, it's also humility. You hear that in the, in the final things David says. He says, search me, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. David doesn't go, hey, here's all this stuff I'm thinking, God, isn't it great? He's saying, look, here it is, do what you want with it. You know, s s test me, change things. I'm submitting to you, Lord, here it is, do what you want with it. That's the, that's the response, is, is, is honesty and humility. It's saying to God, here's what's inside of me, and I need you to transform. I need you to heal. I need you to do something with it. Because what's the alternative? The alternative is to continue to live in hiding, 
hiding from that shame and that guilt. It's to continue to put on a face just for appearances sake, to, to try to convince people that you are something you're really not. The, the, the alternative is, is the Pharisee in the New Testament who prays to God and basically is just pumping his own tires and thanking God that he's not like all those bad, gross people over there. It, the, the alternative is self-righteousness. The alternative is kind of a self-achieved salvation, which I hate to break it to you, isn't gonna take. It's not gonna work. It's gonna fail every time. The alternative to that is to recognize and acknowledge God's knowledge of you and to say to him, here it is. Here's my life. I, I'm making a mess of this. There's a lot of stuff in the depths I really don't like very much. God, please shine your light on my life. Do what you will with it. Don't be afraid to have God take you into the depths because he's there and he's been there in the person of Jesus. He went to the cross in your place he knows you fully inside and out. He knows your past and your history. He's with you wherever you go. So submit your life to him. Say to him, here it is, God. Do whatever you want with it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you know us. And we thank you, Jesus, son of God, that you took on flesh, you made your dwelling among us. You came to make the Father known to us. You entered right into the deepest parts of human existence so that we could know you. Thank you so much, Lord, that wherever we go, and no matter what the darkness is around us, and we're not alone in this, that we don't need to be overcome by it because you have entered in and you're shining your light and you're loving and healing and restoring us. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters here today. Some of them are on that journey right now. Some of them, Lord, have been very afraid of starting that journey. And I pray, Lord, today that they would see that you are able to, to go to the depths with them. That they would see that it is safe and good to allow you full reign in their lives. Lord, I pray today that you would move in our hearts. In Christ's name.